this edition of March Madness 365, I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by West Virginia head coach Bob Huggins. to break down the Mountaineers' undefeated start, their victory in the tournament down in Cancun. Then an interview I was really looking forward to and it exceeded my expectations. Had a chance to catch up with Nathan Bain from Stephen F. Austin. Hit the shot of the season in uh, allowing the Lumberjacks to knock off Duke in overtime, racing down court in three seconds to convert that layup with uh, Jack White trailing him, trying to block it. But even bigger than that is his personal story. Uh, His family survived Hurricane Dorian, lost basically everything, their home, church, and uh, he has tried to help rebuild. He was struggling to try to do it. He hits a shot, and his whole world changes. Just the generous aspect of people in the community, the country, reaching out after hearing his story, watching him convert that shot. Also joined by Jimmy Dykes uh, from ESPN, uh, who called a lot of the Battle for Atlantis games, breaking down that tournament that had arguably at least six NCAA tournament-bound teams. Uh, just did a great job down in Atlanta, so we're going to talk to Jimmy about that. Chad Acock from Turner Sports will handle our prediction segment. Challenge me on uh, my predictions for this week and teams that are and how I did the previous week. And then also want to make sure that you go to uh, nstobo.com and our March Madness to not just check out the Power 36, our Player of the Week, uh, Anthony Cowan from Maryland, Team of the Week, Michigan, but also a new bracket, first bracket of the season, one month in. That will debut on Tuesday, so make sure you check that out. All right, so headlines this week. We're changing things up a little. You'll hear in the Cats ranks the new top 10 for this week. So for headlines, we're going to sort of recognize some of the things that happened last week that headlined college basketball. Let's start at number five. We haven't won a regular season tournament championship since 2004. It's a long time. And uh, that was was, uh, important to our team. Coach Pearl said something before the game about Auburn hasn't won a uh, in-season tournament since like 2005 or something like that. So, it, of course, it's special to be the first team since then to do that. So, it's, uh, it means a lot. Auburn had a Final Four look to them in Brooklyn. They won the Legends Classic, taking out New Mexico and Richmond. When I talked to Bruce Pearl at the SEC Media Day, a lot of the chatter was that this was going to be a team that's going to lean inside uh, rather than necessarily be a team that's going to shoot a ton of threes. And yet, they've got great balance this season already with Austin Wiley and Samir Doughty. So Auburn, legitimate shot to get back to the Final Four. At number four. What a win for Virginia Tech. Wow. Mike Young with an enormous win as the Hokies pull off a big-time upset and defeat Michigan State here in the first round of the Maui Jim Maui Invitational. Virginia Tech shocked Michigan State on the first day of the Maui Invitational. This is a Hokies team, new head coach in Mike Young, projected to be in the bottom third of the ACC. Landers Nolly, the second who sat out last season, wasn't eligible, was just absolutely dominant in this victory. He hit a driving layup and then a three to extend the lead and keep Michigan State at arm's length and allow them to pull off the stunning upset to tip off the Maui Invitational, denying a potential Michigan State-Kansas game out in Maui. At number three... The Flyers will be heard from. A great week for them in spite of the loss today. A team that's going to make a lot of noise this year. No, that, Dayton is legit. 
mean, Kansas had to play its best game of the year to win this game. Kansas wins the Maui Invitational over an impressive Dayton team led by a player of the year candidate named Obi Toppin. Talking about him here shortly on the podcast. Uh, so look, Kansas, after losing their opener, has not lost since. And this showed that they are a Final Four potential national championship team. Uh, they were able to win three games in three days against, you know, for the most part, solid competition outside of day one against Chaminade because I would not dismiss BYU, the team they beat in the second game. You know, look, did they play a power five team to win this title? No, but I still thought they were very impressive and it's just huge for their confidence. They got big games coming up in the month of December, beginning with Colorado coming up later this week. And we're going to discuss that during our prediction segment at number two. The Wolverines, to put it simply, they were awesome, baby, with a capital A. They certainly earned it with wins over Iowa State, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. Unranked Michigan won the battle for Atlantis, knocking off Iowa State, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. What'd that do for the Wolverines? Pushed them to number one in my power 36 and number four in the AP Top 25 poll. So, setting up a one-versus-four game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, this week in Louisville. Tremendous job by Juwan Howard, Phil Martelli, the holdover, Saudi Washington, the anchors of Xavier Simpson, John Teske, Isaiah Livers. Michigan wins the battle for Atlantis. And at number one. They've got a timeout. They don't use it. Bane! Yes! The Lumberjacks have done it! The Stephen F. Austin Lumberjacks Stephen F. Austin absolutely stuns number one Duke, handing the Blue Devils their first non-conference home loss since 2000. And the manner in which they did it, I mean, you cannot script this. Loose ball, overtime, Nathan Bain comes out to him, and it's a dead sprint all the way to the bucket, right at the buzzer. And you'll hear Nathan Bain describe that last play in great detail coming up here on March Madness 365. And those are your top five headlines of the week. And I'm next here on March Madness 365. It's Nathan Bain from Stephen F. Austin. Catching up with Nathan as the Lumberjacks were coming back from Arkansas State, a important game for them because they did not show a letdown after winning at Duke. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Nathan Bain from Stephen F. Austin. Uh, the Lumberjacks, as we are recording this, are coming back from a victory at Arkansas State. And what's great about this is that means that they didn't have a letdown after winning at Duke, which is arguably the upset of the season and, and maybe one of the biggest upsets in the regular season in the last couple of decades, just based on the fact that Duke had not lost a non-conference home game since the year 2000. Uh, so let's deal with the, the immediate uh, aspect of this, Nathan. How much did you guys focus on making sure that there was no letdown after kind of a, a victory of that magnitude? Uh, that was a that was a big focus for us, you know. Not to, like we used it as motivation to win, but we also didn't want to have like uh, a Duke hangover, so to speak. You know, we didn't want to be so high off of Duke that we forgot that we had another game coming up, you know. And that was emphasized a lot by the coaches who prepared us really well, and uh, I think the guys were really mature their approach. Uh, you know, uh, going into the game, you know, we didn't want uh, we didn't want the Duke game to be the highlight of the season, you know, because it's a long season. 
So I think that was a big emphasis for us you know, to really be focused on the next game, which is the biggest game. Well, and we saw what happened when Evansville knocked off Kentucky at Rupp Arena. Uh, they ended up losing three games after that against Division One teams and sort of negated that kind of a victory. Uh, I know you guys got off to a little bit of a slow start, which is understandable because you're on the road. Um, what were those huddles or the half times like um, on this game on Saturday to, to ensure that, that you guys played up to your potential and took care of business uh, after, obviously, a momentous victory against Duke and to keep it going with this win? Oh, it was just. I mean, we know we knew they would give us. Uh, they would give us uh, you know, that bad shot, that bad punch early. You know, you know, especially being on the road. You know, like that. That was the first time they was home in a in a while. But they were traveling too, so you know they wanted to get that bad shot for their home crowd. You know, and uh, you know it's easy to play hard when you got a home crowd, and you know it's a lot harder when you are away. But you guys have that circle. You know, you just have your huddle, and that's what we try to emphasize. You know, uh, having tight huddle as a team. You know, everyone is being tight and staying together. And understand, you know, especially on the road, you know, we all that we have, you know, when we find that circle, you know. So uh, that was uh, another focus that we try to focus on throughout the season. You know, just to be tight, especially on the road. All right, so let's go back to Duke. The last play in the last second, the loose ball pops out, you get it, and you're off to the races. Um, when you received the basketball, when you got that pass, what did your eyes see when you looked up? When I looked up, I saw that it was like three seconds left, and so I'm slow. So I did. I was like, man, I got to really get on my horse to get there. And I, I mean, I tried to you know just make a beeline down the court, you know, and just go as fast as I can to get the ball up on the rim, you know, uh, you know give the chance to go win, give the chance to win the game. And Jack White of Duke was obviously trailing you, trying to get there and racing by, behind you. If I were to put you at, I guess, the, did you start at the free throw line? Let me ask you that first. Did you start at the free throw line? Uh, it, was, it was about top of the key, I believe. Okay, so if I put you at the top of the key and put three seconds on the clock and had someone chasing you in practice, what are the chances that every time you would beat that defender down court and score a layup before the buzzer? Man, I, don't, uh, man, I, I don't know. I know. There's a lot of adrenaline pumping, so... Then I was a little person speed. I didn't think I had. So the odds are against that you could do that every time. Is that correct? Yeah, probably not realistically. <laughs> um, when Jack White was sprinting behind you, I mean, how how much did you feel like his presence right there, right, like almost breathing on your back? It felt like he was touching my jersey. Honestly, the uh, feel of breathing on my back real heavy. So momentum carried you forward, and I'm curious. I mean. How much of the of the ball dropping into the net did you even see? I didn't see the ball go through the net. I looked over at the bench and saw my teammates running at me. I, I didn't even know I made the little one. So, I mean, obviously that's a, a once-in-a-lifetime generation kind of play, but help me exp- understand this. How did you guys even get in that position to where you could win the game on a last play? I mean, you know, it was a team effort. You know, we wanted to keep the game. We want, we knew like Duke was a great team, you know, and that's one of the that's like the Mecca of basketball in the college world, you know. And uh we wanted to keep it close, you know, 'cause we know we knew they were young, we like, we have guys experience, you know, like we know we could keep it close, you know, we could get we could come out on top. You know, in those last final seconds, you know, like you know, Rocky where, you know, he's like he's playing great defense the whole game, but he got a great deflection. He got a like really clutch deflection and then gave it chance, you know, he's on the ground with two hands and you know he secured the ball you know like we talk about going two hands 
being the first to fly, you know, and he, you know, he did just that. You know, he's a tough player. And uh, he made eye contact, and he just threw the head, and, you know, you know, just even then. You know, without those two, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a bunch of plays leading up to that, but gave, uh, Rocky and gave it that put on the defensive end, most definitely, you know, those, those two saved the game for us. You know, Nathan, you're not a big-time scorer. I mean, you know, you scored 11 points in that game, and, and you scoring double figures is, is really not the norm, at least not this season yet. Uh, but it really shows right place, right time, and being a timely scorer uh, as a senior, as a leader. How critical is that for your role on this team to make the big shot, or, or I should say be opportunistic when when it is in front of you, you know, t- to, to make a play like that? I uh, you know because I mean you know coach always tells us you know we are role players and I think the whole I think our team as a as a whole has accepted that you know like we are role players you know like it could be anybody's role at any given time you know any game we play and like we don't care who scores the ball we don't care who you know every game with the most rebounds or points you know it's just like when it when it's your time and you're in the right position you know you make the play you know that's something we focus on as a team you know just making the right play so that's the basketball side Nathan uh, I know it's been well documented. You know, the off-court aspect of this is just as remarkable. I mean, what your family, your friends went through with Hurricane Dorian uh, is absolutely indescribable. Total devastation in the Bahamas. And a GoFundMe page was obviously set up. Didn't get any kind of national publicity, obviously, before this. So before we get to where it is financially now, uh, for those that fully can't comprehend, you know, what's your... What's your what's your hometown, your home island experience, your family, your friends, your church, your home? Uh, how would you describe it? I mean, it was it was like a lot of devastation. You know, like we, the island of Abaco, you know, that island got hit. I think that island got hit so hard, and the like, Grand Bahama got hit so hard. You know, we all it was like, it was unrecognizable. You know, from what it was just moments before to when. The hurricane just sat on top of both those islands. You know, just it was an unspeakable devastation. You know, like just looking at pictures, and I can't even imagine just being there, experiencing it, and looking at your home get destroyed, and you know, I'm losing everything. You know, uh, so many people were affected in, in uh, such a horrible way by the hurricane. Uh, There's definitely something scary. You know, it's catastrophic. You know, have you been back? No, uh, uh, the last time I've been back home was uh, this summer. So I've, I've been with my home since then. And I mean, I wanted to. To go home to be with my family, help them out, you know. But you know, my dad, you know, my mom's been telling me, you know, there's like there's a reason I'm in the stage right now. So you know, and I try to help them where I'm at, you know, to put them in a position, you know, to to, to make life easier on them, you know, on uh, my people. Where are they now? They're they're back home now inside the Bahamas, you know, because they have the school, the school and the church they have to run. So they've been, you know, doing they've been doing like a, a bunch on there, and you know, trying to get trying to help a whole lot of families. At the school and church, uh, get back on their feet, uh, including themselves. So, what was the GoFundMe figure before the Duke game? Uh, I think it was sitting at around three thousand, maybe I believe. And as we talk uh, at the end of the weekend here, at the end of November, what's it at now? It's at like one hundred and forty-one thousand. Know, the grace of God, one hundred forty-one thousand. Know, that's a lot of money. It's going to be helping so many different people. You know, just, it's just unbelievable where the GoFundMe is skyrocketing. It really is. It's something you can't even script. I mean, you can't even script this of what you've experienced in the last week. What's been your family's reaction to not just your unbelievable, you know, play on the basketball court, but what it meant 
financially to help rebuild their lives and your community? Yeah, they just, they've, been, they've been real emotional and real thankful to God for, for all that happened, you know, because, you know, outside of the shot, like, we've been talking to us bigger than basketball, you know, like, like the shot didn't really matter. It's what happened afterwards. It's how much people are going to be affected for the aftermath, you know. Like, they just, like, they've, they've been in disbelief about how much, like, how much they know they'll be able to help other people, you know. So, so where does it stand now, Nathan? Are you going to keep it open, or how long? How do you think? How long? How much longer do you think we we'll keep it open? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure how much. How long are they going to keep it open? But I mean, people, people have been donating on stuff. I checked. I checked today, and I mean, some people have donated like right after this game. So just a few minutes after this game, people have been donating. So, I mean, I think they're going to try and see how much they can get out of it. You know, because going to, to a great cause. You know, going to help so many different people. So now you know, Nathan, what would make this story, I mean, one that we could certainly, you know, ship off the script to Hollywood, is if you guys make the NCAA tournament, <laughs> and not only just yeah. make it, uh, but win a game and pull off some upset in March. I mean, uh, what would you think if that's the way this story ended at least this season? That would just be another, another act of God just working through us, you know? That, that, that's something we want to achieve. And something the team is uh that's that's what one of our goals are, you know. One of my end goals, you know, to make a deep run in March, you know. Well Nathan, I'll tell you, it, you know, if things are gonna get scripted, the ball's gonna be in your hands in a last possession. I just feel it. I feel it. You know, we're gonna be talking about this in March. If you guys can get through the Southland, take care of business and get there as an AQ or who knows, maybe even at large. Uh Nathan, it's been a pleasure and honor to speak with you. I wish only the best for your family. You know, for those listening, uh, you can go to the – how would they get to the GoFundMe page? They have a link. Uh, I think it's on Twitter, USISFA Basketball. Like, uh, SFA Basketball, so they have a link on Twitter that they can, uh, that they can get to. If you just they leave your message, message uh, somebody on there, they'll get you a, a link to the GoFundMe page. Yeah, so everyone go to that Stephen F. Austin Men's Basketball Lumberjacks Twitter page. Uh, they've done an outstanding job, obviously, in light of what has occurred. Uh, Nathan – only the best. We're going to keep tracking of the Lumberjacks this season. Uh, you're a special individual. You hit a historic shot. And uh, clearly, uh, this thing isn't going away. Any This has got great shelf life. Uh, and I think you're going to get a lot of tremendous value, uh, not just personally, but obviously for the greater community off of this. And see, this is great good that can happen from just uh, you know a single layup at the buzzer. So tremendous, Nathan. Wish you all the best. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you so much. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, West Virginia head coach Bob Huggins and uh, the Mountaineers, fresh off a tournament title victory down in Cancun, knocking off uh, Wichita State, Northern Iowa. Then they came back home and beat a a very good Rhode Island team with really good guards. I saw them knock off Alabama a couple weeks ago. 7-0 as we're taping, and uh, the Mountaineers and the Oklahoma State Cowboys, which won the NIT season tip-off, are at the top of the standings. Uh, just uh, basically, what, three, four weeks out before the Big 12 starts. So obviously all of us were wrong. You were right. And there's a lot of that going on because Michigan won the battle for Atlantis. They're going to be a, a top five team and no one had them anywhere near close to that. Uh, why has it worked out so well this early in the season for you guys so far, Hugs? Oh, well, I think our incoming guys have done a really good job and I think more important than that, our our sophomores grew up. You know, they were 
they were young and were uh, inexperienced a year ago. Having them play the the latter part of the season a year ago, I think, really helped them understand how hard you got to play and gave them an idea of what they need to work on to be better this year. Uh, Oscar Shabway, uh phenomenal start to his season in this game against Wichita State. He had 19 and 18. Uh, he's become a double-double machine for you. What did you see in him that is clearly uh, transferred to the way he's playing in these games? Well, I guess from the time the time I started in this business, all the NBA guys said to me, the one thing that transfers is rebounding. If you rebound in high school, you're probably going to rebound it in college, and you're probably going to rebound it in the NBA. And he does, he's done that. I mean, he's done that. He's, he's at the... Uh, accomplished at least two steps of that. He's rebounded it really well here. He was a terrific, I think. A lot of people thought the best high school rebounder in the country. You know, I, I hate to always just drop comparisons here, but is he, and you've had great power forwards and players like this. I mean, is there someone that you can harken back to Cincinnati? I don't know if it's a Fortson, uh, someone like that, that you're, you know, he reminds you of a little bit? No, he's not like, he's not like Danny. He's not like D'Antonio. He's, he's obviously not like Kenyon. I mean, I think he's he's himself, and I think that's to a large degree what makes him special. He's not trying to be somebody else. He, he's trying to be Oscar and be the best Oscar he can be. So you mentioned guys that have gotten better, and one of those players clearly is Derek Culver. I mean, we knew he'd be really good coming in, uh, but in the game against Rhode Island, 25-11, and 11, uh, how much has he become that player that you can count on to deliver for you? Well, it, it, it's kind of like those guys have taken turns. When Oscar's been really good, Derek's hasn't been bad, you know, but he hasn't been outstanding. And when vice versa, you know, when when Derek has been really good, then Oscar has kind of, I don't want to say taken a back seat, but has been good, but not, you know, not outstanding. And they they are learning how to play together much, much better. There's a lot of things that they both still need to learn, but they're getting better. Derek, because of the years' experience and because he's got he's got really good feet. I mean, we've had Derek, for instance, uh, Northern Iowa. He's out guarding six foot two guys, and and being able to stay in front of them. So he gives us the versatility that we can play him a lot of places. So we knew you'd have, you know, or at least you should have had, which has played out. Obviously, an outstanding front court. What is it about the back court that has stepped up to allow you guys to be seven and zero at this juncture? I think our depth, Jordan McCabe, obviously, you know, started the end of last year and, and has played uh, well for us. Deuce McBride's come off the bench and, and been really good for us at times. And then, you know, Taz Sherman shot it really well. And when he struggled a little bit, then Sean's made shots and Chase Harler has made shots for us. And, you know, it's just, it's just been uh, we've got enough guys there that we can ham and egg it pretty good. Your next game's at St. John's. You've already won a couple of neutrals. You've already won on the road uh, against uh, a rival at Pitt, renewing that rivalry. Uh, and then I'm looking ahead here, and, I mean, you have a absolutely brutal four-game stretch uh, at the end of December into January where you're going to play Ohio, you're play Ohio State at Kansas to open the Big 12, at Oklahoma State. I just mentioned they're undefeated. And then home Texas Tech. Um I know that's still three weeks out, but when you get to that point, how prepared will this group be for that kind of gauntlet? I don't have any idea. I mean, we're 
we're still learning. We're still getting better. Um, we're gonna we're gonna watch a whole bunch of film today, and hopefully seeing the good things we do, seeing the mistakes that we make. Hopefully, it, it registers a little bit better than being out on the floor. We need we need to get off our feet a little bit, so it comes I think at the right time. But this this group's got a lot of potential to get better. I mean, there's so many things that we don't do well that we're capable of doing that we will get better at. Now, I'm trying to remember, I think you told me this once before, um, because you start the season with two road Big 12 games, and that's the only time during the Big 12 that that happens to you. If I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, did you tell me at one point that you almost requested to, to start, you know, at least early you know, because you guys are sort of the furthest outpost to at least have one trip early that's at least a two-game trip? We'll make sure this is on the record. I didn't request Kansas and Oklahoma State. No, I know that, but did you request at least <laughs> I mean, in a row? Listen, I've, you know, I've lost a little bit, Andy, but I haven't lost that much. Our travel is, is, is hard, man. I mean, 800 and, I think it's 863 mile, air miles is our, is our closest trip. And, and, you know, all those guys tell me when they fly into Morgantown, I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you do this all the time. I mean, we fly in here once and we're, we're dead. Well, let them do what we do and, and do it nine times. And what I asked the league was for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, economically, it's crazy for us to fly out there, turn around, fly back, then turn around and fly right back out. Why can't we, you know, stay out there? And, and have games as long as who we're playing has similar kind of deal. You know, they, 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 if it's a Saturday, Monday, then they need to play Saturday, Monday. So we both have one day prep, but I think that's only fair, you know, and the league's been great. I, I can't say enough about, you know, they, they understand. And so we're just trying to make it easier on our guys for first of all, academic reasons, and make it a little easier on our athletic department financially and make it a little bit easier on a 65-year-old coach. <laughs> and for the record, I just checked as we're talking here, yeah, Oklahoma State does play at Texas Tech on the Saturday, the same day you're at Kansas, so they at least will have that Saturday-Monday uh, at the beginning of this uh, Big 12 season. I'm just curious, Bob, just getting back to my point uh, that, you know, and I know I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but look, I'm not the only one. I think coaches, we're, we're all wrong at the beginning because we all think, you know, a team could be better uh, and some exceed expectations, some don't. Um, and this happens every year. I don't care what the team is. But um, a month into the season, why do you think we're seeing now, at least this season, a, a really a number of teams that are just skyrocketing up the rankings uh, and had great Novembers that, you know, clearly just weren't even projected to do so, you know, were missed or maybe have exceeded expectations a month in? Probably a sure sign that people like you don't know what they're doing. Um, you know, I mean, if you look, if you look at rosters, if you look at who has who coming back, if you look at who has recruited needs, you know, not recruited because, it had a star behind their name, but recruited needs. Then I think I think you have a better idea of 
who's going to improve and who's not going to improve. I mean, if you you look at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State's as good as anybody in the country. They've got they've got probably the best shot blocker in the country. He was he was one of, if not the best shot blocker in the country a year ago. They they're they're athletic. They make shots. They can penetrate it. They, they've got two of the best shooters in the country. I mean, to not think they're going not going to be really good is crazy. And and kind of the same thing with us. I mean, we had a good recruiting class. We we have guys back that can play. You know, and and we have maybe we we we'd like to have a little more experience, but our sophomores got a lot of experience a year ago. And, and lastly, Bob, how, how do you explain you know what we've already seen this season where Evansville goes into Rupp and and beats Kentucky. Stephen F. Austin, crazy ending, goes in and beats Duke. First time they lost non-conference home game since 2000. And we've seen a lot of these kind of buy games where teams have gone in to high majors, power six schools, and won. What's the explanation? Well, obviously those teams are pretty good. But, you know, I mean, Andy, we when I was at Akron, we should have beaten Pitt twice and didn't. You know, they just they just bullied us at the end at their place, and Sean Miller was played out of his mind in the in the game in Cleveland. But I mean, this is this isn't didn't just start. I mean, there's people like that have been beaten the so-called you know whatever hierarchy for a long time. I think there's a, there's just so much more exposure now. You, you, you. At any time, you on your on your TV. If you, you know, pay a little bit more for the cable, you're gonna you're gonna have five or six games on at once. There's just so many more games now. There's so much more exposure. You used to have to wake up if you remember. Yeah, you used to have to wake up and run down and get the paper, and then they had all the games listed, and you went down through to find out who beat who. That was how you really found out what was going on. No, you're right. Um, well, Bob, you guys are off to a great start, and uh, we're not going to be wrong anymore about the Mountaineers. Clearly, you're a team that's going to be in contention for the Big 12 title and uh, a lot of great things beyond that. So, hope you had a great holiday and have a great month in December. I appreciate it, Bob. Thank you. Well, thanks, Andy. We've got a lot of work to do, but I, I, we, I think we've got the pieces that we can put them together the right way. And I'm next here on March Madness 365. Jimmy Dykes from ESPN. He was all over Battle for Atlantis. Announcing the games, going down the slides, doing interviews in the water. A little bit of everything from Jimmy Dykes as he breaks down the multiple teams that are going to be heading to the NCAA tournament from Atlantis. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. And now it's time for our Katz Ranks, our top 10 of the week. And in previous weeks, we've been doing the sort of top 10 either players or teams or performances of the week. This week, and maybe for the next couple of weeks, we're going to change some things up a little bit. And what we want to do, since it's the first podcast in December, we want to look back at the month of November and do our top 10 Player of the Year candidates after the first month in college basketball. All right, let's start at number 10. Freshman guard from Arizona, Nico Mannion. He's made a major impact on the Wildcats, basically made Zeke Naji one of the best uh, freshman forwards in the country uh, helped Chase Jeter become uh, just an even higher level player uh, for the Arizona Wildcats. We saw them uh, take out Wake Forest to win the Wooden Legacy Tournament 
and clearly Nico Mannion uh, has a say in that, and there's certainly their overall production. And the fact that Arizona uh, right now looks like they're going to be right there in contention with Oregon, Washington, and Colorado for the Pac-12 title. At number nine, Jordan Wara from Louisville. The Cardinals, as we're taping, have not played a big-time game yet. That certainly will come uh, when they take on Michigan later this week in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. But Jordan, who's the preseason ACC Player of the Year, has not disappointed one bit. He's led up to his, uh, he's lived up to his expectation and his hype, and he's scoring at will for the Cardinals. At number eight, Devin Dotson from Kansas. Uh, the lead guard for the Jayhawks helped them win the Maui Invitational. Uh, Bill Self has said throughout the course of the preseason that he's got a potential Big 12 Player of the Year and National Player of the Year candidate. Obviously, the one-two punch of Dotson and Yudoka Azubuke has been very tough for teams since that opening night to handle uh, in terms of Kansas. All right, number seven, Vernon Carey uh, from Duke. He was the MVP, scoring 51 points in two games at the 2K Empire Classic at Madison Square Garden, capped off by their win over Georgetown. Every year, really, in the, you could argue the last... I don't know, go back to uh, at least 2015, it feels like that Duke has had a player of the year freshman candidate or someone in that ilk, and uh, Carey certainly next in line. I mean, he's clearly their best offensive player on this team. At number six, Cole Anthony, freshman point guard from North Carolina. He has done everything that was expected of him. Maybe he's having to do too much in North Carolina. Needs a little more help for the Tar Heels, certainly to be an elite team. But he's been sensational overall for North Carolina so far. Now, here's where it gets interesting in my top five, okay? Anthony Cowan Jr. checks in at number five right now from Maryland. MVP, in my eyes, of Orlando, uh, the way he produced at the Orlando Invitational. uh, Just, you know, scoring well over 20 each game. uh, Well, over 20 or 20 or more, I should say, each game. He had a 30-point game. His assist turnover to steal numbers were great. Uh, he's leading the Terps to, so far, an undefeated season. So, the senior point guard from Maryland checks in at number five. At number four, did not have this player on my list in a top ten early, but Obi Toppin from Dayton. If you watch the Maui Invitational, he was clearly one of the most impressive players there. Looked like a top five NBA draft pick. Uh, and he's playing like a National Player of the Year candidate. So, Obi Toppin from Dayton, cracks my top four of National Player of the Year candidates for the month of November. At number three is Cassius Winston from Michigan State, my preseason player. Now, Cassius obviously has gone through more than any other player this season with the death of his brother Zachary, and we can't even imagine what he's going through. The fact that he's able to continue to play at a high level is remarkable. He was instrumental in their win at Seton Hall, even though Malik Hall came off the bench uh, with 17-7-7, it's Cassius Winston that's been setting the table for all of it. And Cassius Winston, after they lost to Virginia Tech, helped reset this team to come out of Maui with a 2-1 mark. He's going to be in the top four all season long, potential National Player of the Year. At number two, Marcus Howard from Marquette. He's had already multiple 40-plus games, has had a 50-point game, just really unbelievable that he had 91 points in two consecutive days uh, down in Orlando. You know, will he get Big East Player of the Year? Well, that's the big question because 
And number one is Miles Powell from Seton Hall. Bum ankle, not able to close it out, yet scored 37 against Michigan State. He was the star against Oregon in their first game in the battle for Atlantis, not able to close it out. But that's it. Otherwise, he's been a rock. He's been consistent. He's must-see TV. He is everything that Seton Hall needs him to be. And he has been a anchor for that team. If someone wants to put any one of these guys at one, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Uh, I think all 10 are deserving at this juncture. All had great months of November overall. And there were three players that I really wrestled with of trying to find a spot for them. Jared Butler from Baylor helped the Bears to their victory over Villanova. He's played really well for Baylor. Could be a Big 12 Player of the Year candidate. Xavier Simpson, undefeated Wolverines. They won the battle for Atlantis. The reason I was kind of waffling and putting him on the list is John Teske's had a great season so far for Michigan. So it's been sort of a 1-2, and then Isaiah Livers had a really strong finish for them in that tournament. And then Jordan Ford from St. Mary's. He's easily one of the top three to four point guards in the country right now. As the Gales knocked off Utah State, he was the best player on the floor that night. 27 points in that game. Uh, helped the Gales beat Wisconsin on a neutral floor when Wisconsin was playing well. That was early in the season uh, in South Dakota, actually, to open the season. So it was hard not to sort of find a spot for him on this list as well. So that's my top 10 for this week. The top 10 Player of the Year candidates for the month of November. And that's your Cats Ranks here on March Madness 365. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Jimmy Dykes, a good friend, former colleague at ESPN, Fresh off his trip to the Battle for Atlantis, all over the airwaves covering that event, whether it was as an analyst, sideline. Uh, and I have one bone to pick with you, Jimmy, because when I did that tournament back-to-back years, believe it or not, the last time Michigan was in it four years ago uh, and Gonzaga were there, I don't remember the amount of times I was shown going down the slides. In fact, <laughs> the amount of times was zero. I went down the slides, but it was never – filmed it seemed like you had more time to do that than i did a lot of fun with you and chris patola um <laughs> did you just have more time to go down the slides because i i clearly did not when i went back to back years yeah we well we had to find more time because patola as you know questioned my water slide integrity and once that happens you just say i'll meet you at 6 a.m 7 a.m whenever you want to meet to make sure we settle this the right way so that's that's how we had to go multiple slides because he questioned my water slide integrity so that I jumped the start and the film clearly shows the light was on green. So we had to, we had to miss a few minutes of a shoot around one day to make sure we got this thing settled once and for all. But that's a, that tournament this year, Andy was, it was loaded going in and it was loaded coming out. I, there was four or five legit NCAA tournament teams there that are legit, Sweet 16 type could be playing for the Elite Eight slash Final Four. It was a big-time field. It had a big-time feel about it. And Michigan, you know, cut down the nets and uh, walked away with all the coconuts because that's a, that's a really good team right now and uh, out of the month of November. I could, I would have no problem if, when the poll would say Michigan's number one one month in. At least they deserve to be in the conversation. All right, so let's break this down. I will say for the record, I chickened out on Leap of Faith. My son did it. Uh, I did do the other slides, but I, I, I was not, I was too scared to do that one. So I did not do Leap of Faith. Did you do Leap of Faith? Yes, one time, just to say that I've done it. Okay. Uh, and and it, it truly is that, that. It is a leap of faith. Yes. And you, 
when you're sliding through the sharks, then something's wrong with you. But you, you don't do even, it out of my son said you don't even see the sharks because you go so fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you you know this is. I also had a little bit of a deterrent because the britches that I was wearing actually burned a couple of holes in the backside going down the Challenger, so it slowed me down the rest of the week. So I guess I got a pretty good look at a shark when I slid by my first day. <laughs> All right, so I, I would say that when we get to March and Selection Sunday, I think we're going to look back and see seven of the eight teams. Well, let me rephrase this. Six of the eight. Six. I'm yep. sorry. Six of the eight teams I think will be in the NCAA tournament from Atlantis, which is an unbelievable percentage. The two I don't think will make it, Southern Miss and Alabama. I saw Alabama lose uh, to URI, very difficult road game for them uh, to come up to an A-10 school that's got a great home court. Uh, I just think Nate Oates' squad, it's going to take him maybe another year or two to get everything in place for him. So I just don't think they have the pieces to get there. Well, first, do you agree with me on Southern Miss and Alabama? Yes, absolutely. Those those other six, something's going to have to go just opposite in a hurry. For them not to make it, Alabama, and it, they just they lack the skill set right now overall in that lineup. And Southern Miss is you know they're in a rebuilding mode right now, however you want to say it. But those, those other six teams, absolutely, I, I'll be very surprised. All right, so let's break it down. Let's bring let's start with the champs. You know, I did not have them in my last rankings or my preseason rankings, although I projected that Michigan would be an NCAA tournament team. You know, I, I'll be honest, and I know Michigan fans were all over me over the weekend. They hadn't, they were at home, which was good scheduling. In the Gavit games, they got a Creighton team at home that I think is probably going to finish somewhere around seventh or sixth in the Big East. So I wanted to wait and see. And what I saw was a team that definitely could win the Big Ten. And if you win the Big Ten, that means you're in, you're in contention for a top two seed. Uh, you were there. What did you see with the Wolverines? Well, they, they check all the boxes. I said it multiple times, I think, when you start the game and your point guard and your post is most likely going to win those two matchups, no matter who you play against, that's a great starting point. And and Xavier Simpson is going to be favored or at least going to tie any point guard that he goes up against this year. And that's a, that's a big statement, but that kid is a winner and he's tough and he makes the shots that he has to and a, a tough guy, leader, voice that everybody follows. He's a, we know how good of a defender he is. And it's a very short list of point guards I would take in college ball to start my team if I just had to make a choice. And then Teske is as improved as anybody we've got in the game right now, Andy. He's you know he's a high free throw percentage shooter. He moves well. He really, really covers up the floor defensively. Juwan has gone to an NBA drop coverage with his ball screen. Change, that's one change he made from B-line system. And Teske just keeps the ball away from the rim uh, at 7-1. He moves his feet really well, and he's making shots. And Jawan Howard plays through him. Jawan Howard sees the game as a big guy because that's what he is. And those two guys are as good as anybody at their position. And then you surround him with a guy like Isaiah Livers, who's versatility and in terms of just he's a six seven big guard that's they're really really good i i, I think this, the simplest way to break michigan down is this they never put a bad player on the floor and and some teams are really good but every once in a while they have to put a bad player on the floor that you that you don't have to guard or or can't guard or something and that's not michigan they everyone that john puts on the floor is a legit player and getting franz wagner Healthy, didn't shoot it great in Atlantis, but, man, that dude's a player. He's a big-time 6'9 athletic guard is what he is. And, and uh, 
I just think that Juwan is special and the, the fit with he and Phil Martelli, they, it fits like a glove. And you can see during the game, just key moments when Phil's leaning in and giving his advice or, or Juwan's asking for it, but that, that they are no joke. It's, it's not going to be a team we look back on and say that was a fluke in the, in the Bahamas. It was not. And think about this. Our last two national champions, Villanova and Virginia, yeah. they both won Atlantis, and they went on to win the national championship, and Michigan could very well do it again. They may not, but they're good enough to do it, Andy. Hey, how about in 2014, Kevin Ollie takes over for a legend and Jim Calhoun and wins it, you know, at UConn. They're first yeah. year eligible. The first year he took over, remember they were on, they uh, were not eligible for the tournament that year, but they win it his first eligible year to uh, compete in the NCAA tournament. All right, so Gonzaga, this is interesting. They, they have an experienced team, but it's a different kind of experience than we normally see from Gonzaga. And I think this caught up with them a little in the second half, you tell me, uh, where normally it's experienced guards who have been there two, three, four years. This time it's experienced guards who are new to the program. Uh, what were your impressions of the Zags? Yeah, that's a, that's a great description. I, I, I summed it up that Mark Few this year has an experienced experienced guys that are inexperienced together. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, you look at the transfers and just the different roles uh and they are really banged up, Andy. They're they're really banged up. Woolridge's knee is still, you know, it bothers him after games a little bit with a soreness. Gilder, you know, he's had the, the knee issue his entire career that still gets sore on him. Um and we we you know Killian Tilly, they couldn't even play him three games in a row. They knew that going in and Watson couldn't play all of it, right? Yeah, no, yeah, and Watson didn't play at all. And yeah, he's right, a, right. I mean he's a really versatile freshman, Watson, that gives him energy and, and uh one of the better defenders probably in the freshman class. We just didn't get to see much at all. So but they're typical Gonzaga, they're they're tough. Mark questioned their toughness at halftime of the Michigan game. This is the first time they kind of been knocked on their butt and they didn't really respond like he wanted them to. But they're good. They're big. They're physical. They can score. And, and Killian Tilly is. I just. I really hope the kid stays healthy the rest I know, of the year. I know. I'm, I'm cheering for him as you are, as all of us in college ball. Like every once in a while, you just really pull for a certain player. And I know we're all pulling for him because he's a special kid that loves the game. And he's he's extremely talented. Like in terms of versatility, he can come down and make a pick and pop three. Then the next time you can put him in a ball screen, he can dive out of it. You can throw a lob at the rim. And the next time he can set a ball screen and kind of short roll to a 17 footer. And then you can throw it to him on the block. Like his versatility is so fun to watch. I just, I really hope he plays well. The kid to keep an eye on for them is Joel Ayayi. Uh-huh. Yeah, 6'5 sophomore that gets minutes now as the backup point guard. He shoots it really well. He's long, he's athletic, but they're, they're not going to go away. They're, you know, we, we know Mark, they got an unbelievable schedule coming up. They'll, they'll be right there when, when that bracket comes out. They'll be somewhere on that in that three or four seed line, I'm sure. And all their guys, including uh, Petrosif, you know, had great experience this summer playing at, in the FIBA tournament. And, you know, he's a sure. player that, and this is typical of these Zag bigs, that didn't play a lot because it was sort of a backlog and now it really is blossoming. All right, let's move kind of quickly in these other four. Uh, and we're going to talk about these teams a lot this season, I know, uh, at March Madness. Uh, and that's, you know, North Carolina. Oregon, which could be, you know, Elite Eight, Sweet 16 game, and then Seton Hall and Iowa State. Uh, Seton Hall, Big East preseason uh, favorite. And then, you know, look, they just had a bad draw because they had to play Oregon, which was an unbelievably, epically good game for November. 
And then Iowa State, a team that I think will be, you know, in contention to finish in that top four in the Big 12. So let's just go down the line. Your impressions of Carolina, let's start with them first. Yeah, they can't shoot, you know, and that's that's the problem. That's the you know, first time in forever, it seems like. Maybe it's 1950 or 52, somewhere in there. They start off their first six games being held below 80 points, and they, they're going to struggle to get to 80 this year. And that's we're typical thinking of North Carolina playing in the high 80s, early 90s, especially in November. And they, they, they can't get there. There's just not enough offense. There's not enough shot makers. And there's a lot on Cole Anthony's shoulders. A, a ton, Andy. A ton. And you know he's and he's uh, he's very confident. Not I didn't I never detected an arrogance about him. I spent some time with him, shooting those promos and visiting with him. But he's very confident. He comes to the game now to get 30 points every time he puts the uniform on. Uh, and they're going to need him to p- produce big numbers because you just look who else is capable. Of, of being that 18, 20 point guy, I, I, I don't see it yet. Now, Anthony and, and uh, Armando Baycott are their best players and, and they're true freshmen. And Baycott is, uh, I mean, he single handedly kind of willed them to that win in their last game against Oregon because he's just a big, big bodied kid that's active and getting better every time you put a film on. But after that, I mean, Leaky Black is a versatile Theo Pinson. Yeah, it's a lot of rotation type players. Yeah, yeah, but he, yeah, exactly. Good rotation, but rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a, rot- a rotation guy, Christian Keeling. That his game hasn't translated from Charleston Southern to this level yet. Just he, he can't make a shot. Justin Pierce is a rotational guy for North Carolina. If you look at what they've done over the years, and, and Garrison Brooks is a is a good player. He's a good solid player, but. He's six nine. He was dealing with a. He was playing with one eye basically on that last last day because of a brazed cornea. So they just they, they don't have the depth right now. Brandon Robinson is their kind of their hope to be the guy that makes shots, but he's been a 11, 12 minute a game guy his entire career. Now we're going to ask him to do that in thirty minutes. So they're going to get better. Roy knows this is this is a good North Carolina team. Andy, it's not great. It doesn't. I don't think it has the potential to be a great North Carolina team. It could be a really good one if things fall their way and they stay healthy and 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 you just kind of the pieces fit together better going forward. But there's a ton on this kid's shoulders, as you said, Cole Anthony. But he's the real deal now. He, he wants to be great. That's his goal, and his habits match it every day. I kind of did a little chart on the air about kind of how those two fit together, and he's. He's all business now. He loves ball. He loves the hard parts of ball, the the lifting weights, the running, the never coming out of practice drills. He loves all that stuff. And he made a block in that game on the Houston kid from Oregon that's as good of a defensive play as I've seen this oh, year. Oh, tremendous. Tremendous. All right, let's shift to Oregon. Peyton Pritchard, you know, he could be potential Pac-12 player of the year. I, I saw a stat that I think I think it was Brian Hamilton from The Athletic had that was that just like really – defines the Dana Altman program where he's done exceptionally well with constantly changing rosters. And this roster still will even change within this season that Peyton Pritchard has played with 37 teammates, 37 (laughs) in four years. Uh, You know, and this Oregon team is another one of those sort of, let's just, you know, we're going to put this thing together each year. It's, it's, it's like an NBA G league type team. You know, we're just going to put it all together and just see how it goes. And even though they lost multiple games, their game, you know, their win over Seton Hall, I think, spoke volumes. And really, they could have won all three of these games. Yes. I mean, they definitely could have beaten Gonzaga and they could have knocked off Carolina. Um, you know, how, how do you leave Atlantis in terms of your impressions of Oregon, a team that's not whole yet? Yeah, I, I really like them a lot. They're, they're, just, they're going to continue to get better because – of all those new pieces trying to figure out the 
the full court defense back to the changing defense and the switching man, a two, three zone to man. And so they, they got a Danis guys always get better, but this team certainly is going to do that because of all the newness that's in there. And Peyton Pritchard is the perfect guy to hold it all together until they're all on the same page, every possession. I, I described him as a scoring glue guy because he just does everything. I believe it's 118 straight starts now in his career. I mean, he's the most durable guy in college ball over the last three-plus seasons now. I mean, he's just uh, – if you said take a point guard to start your team, and Andy, you take Xavier Simpson, and Cassius Winston was taken by somebody else, and now it's my turn, I'm taking Peyton Pritchard. Man, he's he's right there with any point guard conversation you can say, I have no problem taking that kid because, man, he makes big shots, and he's tough, and they're really good. That, that's They're really good. They need, they need Anthony Mathis to start shooting like he did – um, when he was at New Mexico, he's you well, know, in he, the he, first game of the season. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he busted out for yeah, made like nine. Yeah, he and, might have had 30 since, in that, since in then. He's game. made 11 or something, you know. I don't think he made he finally made a couple of threes in Atlantis, but he missed his first nine while we were down there. So he gets that shot going, and that's a that, that CJ Walker kid, that number 14 mm-hmm. for them, freshman boy. He's a He's a rebound waiting to happen, and he almost got it done for them in the overtime against North Carolina. All those games run together, but you couldn't keep him off the glass. And uh, or maybe it's Gonzaga. I don't know, but he's a, he is a talent. Uh, Shakur Houston is a really good player. They have as many pieces as anybody that was, that, that was down there in Atlantis and probably as, any, as much as anybody in the Pac-12. They're just so new to one another. But make no joke, that's that I could easily see Oregon playing in the Elite Eight game this year. No, no, easily see that. All right, so Seton Hall, had they beaten Oregon, we could have been talking about them yep. You know, in the championship game on Friday night because they have the talent to get there. You know, unfortunately for Seton Hall, uh, in two of their biggest games of the season, they, Miles Powell has played phenomenal and been sort of semi-hurt in both, and yet, you know, cramping in the game you saw – the ankle against Michigan State played really well, but they weren't able to close out either one of those two games, which has some concern. But still, they've got the pieces and they've got maybe the player of the year, uh, you know, in, in Miles Powell. Uh, so so you leave the, the Bahamas thinking what of Seton Hall? I, I'm thinking why, why did they not close out two big-time games they had a, a chance to close out? Because Miles Powell, as you just said, was – outstanding for 38 minutes in both of those ball games and I think 37 and 32 in their, in their two losses. So it, to me, watching them practice, and they are, they, they take tremendous pride in trying to bully you in the right way. Like they have a toughness and an edge and a grit about them and how they play. Uh, they've got depth. They overwhelm you with their size when they walk on the floor. This is, and it's not just, the seven-two guy Obiagu or uh, Romaro Gill, like all of them are physical, tough, grown men. Like they're dudes when they walk on the floor. Uh, they just—they've they, had a couple of games not go their way, close out. Powell tried to probably maybe do a little too much in both of those losses, uh, but they's—they're—they're uh, they're really, really good. Spent time with Steve Prome yesterday in the airport. Uh, they actually play Iowa State again next Saturday, and. He just said the, the physicality of playing that team just wears you down over 40 minutes. But Powell, is, uh, he, he's got the greenest of lights right now. He's terrific at kind of getting away with shoving you and, 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 and getting off the screens and getting open. But all, all the pieces are there. Probably the key to them 
is 23, Sandro, Manu, Mukelechvili, yes. whatever his name is. Like, he's a hard guy to guard because last year he played the five. Now he's playing the four. You can even slide him to the three, but he can make an outside shot. He can drive a little bit. He can keep the ball moving, and he's 6'11". So I, I expect us to all learn his name or shorten it down to if we <laughs> say Mamu, we have Mamu or Sandro. We all know what we're talking about because he's a key guy for them. But there's, there's a toughness about them and a will about them that – I don't, I don't have any concerns with Seton Hall coming off the island. I know they didn't lo- went, go 3-0 like they were capable of going, but you're right. Miles Powell should probably be the player of the year for November, uh, and we'll see what he does going forward. Well, first of all, we knew there were going to be good teams that wouldn't go 3-0 uh, in yep. this event, and, and, and you could argue that Oregon's maybe the best 1-2 team out of one of these tournaments, uh, You know, uh, getting that one win over Seton Hall but not beating Gonzaga. Or... Um, uh, or, or North Carolina. All right, last team, Tyrese Halliburton. I know you're not a fan of his uh, slingshot kind of jump shot, but it works for him. Uh, Iowa does. State, you know, uh, you talk about getting some dudes. I mean, they've got a squad that I feel like is just going to be in that rugged Big 12 where there isn't a bad team, and they're going to be right in the thick of that race. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That's a, I, I was really impressed by Halliburton. Uh, coming off the island more than going on the island. I watched film, and it's hard to tell on film. And he had a different, a completely different role last year. But now the ball is always in his hands. And we have to remember this is his first year to be a full time point all the time. So he's on a constant high learning curve. Talking with Steve about this kid, and he's he's all of six five. Some guys are listed six five, and they're six three and a half. He's all of six five. He's thin, but he's fast. He's smooth. He's you, know, you watch him on film, you think he kind of glides around the floor, but then he's covering a lot of ground with that ball, and the, the release is awkward, But so therefore he doesn't take bad shots because he can't get it off. He's got to be open, so he's going to shoot a pretty good percentage. I think eventually from three, it was 29%, I think, when we left Atlantis, but it all starts with him. He's He's got an energy and a voice about him that's really electric. NBA scouts down there love to Tyrese Halliburton at the next level. Because it was his length, his speed with the ball, all the things that he does. He's averaging ten assists a ball game on a team that, that does not shoot it well at all right now. So if 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 that ball starts going in for Iowa State, because Prome's getting them good looks, but Rajir Bolton and Prentice Nixon, the two transfers, one from Penn State, Colorado State, they've got to start making shots. Good. I I, I think I think Michael Jacobson is going to continue to be a thirty-five, forty percent shooter. We know Solomon Young just a an old rugged guy on the low post that he's going to get his 10 and eight, probably about every night. And the, probably the difference maker for them, if they're going to be third, third in the big 12 or sixth in the big 12 is going to be George Condit. The fourth uh, long six ten can run like a deer jump timing, very smart knows when to flip a ball screen and what, when to change angles, all those things. I just wish the motor was always there, the hunger, the meanness was always there, and, and and he can get that. He's a young kid, but he can kind of change that team. I think the one thing that Iowa State has to figure out is who they are defensively. I, I don't, and I, I told Steve that I, I was honest with him when he asked, "What do you think?" I, they, they just don't have a defensive identity yet. You know, you got guys who are probably thinking offense more than they're thinking defense, and in that league, as in all those really good leagues, man, you got to have some times where you can just really sit down and, and as a team collectively get a stop and they're not here there yet, but they're, they're, they're very well coached and they're going to, they're going to be fine. You know, one last thing, Jimmy, I was just thinking about this, uh, you know, going back to Seton Hall for a second last year, they beat Kentucky 
in a late possession. They beat Maryland, both Kentucky neutral, Maryland on the road. You know, so sometimes, you know, you just get that break or you make it happen one year and you don't the next. But Seton Hall, as you said, still going to play Iowa State, still going to play Maryland at home. I mean, they've got a really good schedule. And so they're going to be fine, uh, not only in the non-conference, I think ultimately, but also in the Big East. All right, Jimmy, this was awesome. Love breaking it down. I know we're going to talk throughout the course of the season. You're doing an awesome job. Tremendous. So informative. And I love the way you live life. Uh, so all the best. And thanks for uh, thanks for hanging with me here for a little bit. Okay, Andy. Same to you, buddy. Talk to you down the line. All right, when we come back, Chad Aycock from Turner Sports. We're going to do a little predictions right here on March Madness 365. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Chad Aycock from Turner Sports. It's what we like to call March Chadness. Uh, all right, Chad, this is our prediction part of our podcast. Uh, arguably, maybe my favorite part of the podcast because I can go out on a limb and see how I do every week. Uh, so how did I do last week? Andy, last week, you know, you had that hot start to, I guess, two weeks ago. That was eight and two. You slowed down a little bit, but still above 500. You went uh, six and four. You nailed the Michigan over Iowa State pick, uh, Maryland over Temple, Marquette over Davidson, Memphis over NC State, Purdue over VCU, which came down to the last shot. And then that big St. Mary's win over, at the time, number 15, Utah State. You did miss, though, on the Seton Hall Oregon game. Well, that could have gone either way. Could it was a close game, big comeback there late in the game. Another late comeback that just Penn State just absolutely collapsed in that game against Ole Miss. Ole Miss didn't Ridiculous. lead until the final few seconds. It was a wild game. Um, and then the Syracuse pick over Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State surprised a lot of people there. Um, and then Tennessee falling to Florida State. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think I've renewed my faith in Florida State as well. But yes, those were all. Uh, I think still could have gone pick them. And we're, we're in that sort of pick them uh, phase of the season. And, and really what we've seen with our power rankings and the AP poll is there's a lot of fluidity. Uh, a team like Michigan, who I had one, AP had four, uh, basically was nowhere to be seen in any ranking or poll in the preseason. Uh, but they had an unbelievable week at the Battle for Atlantis, knocked off three teams I think will all be in the NCAA tournament. In fact, a couple of them may be in the Elite Eight. Who knows? Final Four. So uh, a tremendous week. But it just shows how much fluidity there will be in this season. And that's why that's what makes making these predictions pretty fun because uh, so many of these games could go either way. No question. They're all almost all of them are just complete toss ups. Uh, But speaking of Michigan, let's get going with this week. We're looking at the Big Ten ACC Challenge Tuesday night, you've got number four, Michigan, at number one, Louisville. I don't think anybody had this, you know, preseason as a potential top five matchup, but here we are, Andy. Who you got? Now, there's no way I would have picked Michigan a week or two weeks ago, but uh, as tough as it is to play at the Yum Center, um, and as well as Louisville has been playing, you know, outside of what, they played Western Kentucky, um, They really haven't played anyone of note yet. So I'm going to just ride this Michigan wave right now. You know, I I think they're going to go in to Louisville, the current number one in the AP, and continue this run that the Wolverines are on. It's a little different, Chad, when you're coming up from the Bahamas to a road game after the ACC Big Ten. The big challenge for a lot of the teams are the ones coming from the West Coast or, you know, certainly from Maui. That's where there's been a lot of sort of, you know, some issues with these teams when they've had to play that ACC Big Ten game after one of those trips. Not a big deal coming from the Bahamas. So I'm going to pick an upset. 
I'm going to go Michigan. No travel issues for Michigan. And yeah, Michigan's the more battle-tested team, so that'll be a fun one to watch. Same night, you've got number 17, Florida State, taking on Indiana. Indiana's kind of flying under the radar, Andy. They're 7-0, not the greatest uh, strength of schedule yet. Um, But who wins that matchup in Assembly Hall? Yeah, Indiana has played very well, but they haven't played anyone of note yet either. So, you know, Louisiana Tech may be their best game in terms of uh, competition. But I'm going to go with Florida State. I've, I've passed on Florida State too many times. As you know, I picked the Gators. Didn't pick Florida State to win the tournament down in Florida this past weekend. So um, I'm going to go with the Seminoles uh, taking off this one in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Yeah, Florida State, that length and defense is just absolutely stifling. It seems like that pit loss is just a complete anomaly at this point. Um, but let's look ahead to a big matchup that we've had circled all year, Andy. It's an Elite Eight rematch. Number 10, Duke. Number 11, Michigan State. Trey Jones versus Cassius Winston. Draymond's getting his jersey retired. Andy, you and I will be on side to take in the scene and all the hype. But who comes out on top in this one? I'm going to go with Michigan State. Um, Michigan State obviously did not play well in their opener Maui, losing to Virginia Tech. They played exceptionally well in winning at Seton Hall. Uh, but, you know, Duke is hurting right now. Uh, Cassius Stanley will not play in this game. He got hurt in their last outing. You know, he really played well in New York for them in their victories. Uh, the capped off by their victory over Georgetown in the 2K Classic. Uh, if you remember Cassius Stanley uh, in basically all in New York, he played well. He played well in their opener. In their opening victory over Kansas sort of stood out that night, maybe even more so than the other Cassius, at least in that particular night in Madison Square Garden, even though they weren't playing against each other. So I think that hurts them. And when you're on the road in this kind of hostile environment, Michigan State needs you know, a pick-me-up after what happened in Maui. So this is sort of the the anomaly where I say a lot of times teams coming from west to east, uh, playing even a home game after uh, Maui Invitational. Uh, I think Michigan State will handle this, and I think they beat Duke. All right, Michigan State at home. Now the next night, Andy, we've got another Elite Eight rematch. Uh, Sticking with the Big Ten ACC Challenge, you've got number five Virginia at Purdue. Now, you know, this time there's going to be no Carson Edwards to help out Purdue in this rematch, but Mackey Arena is still one of the toughest places to play in the country. So who wins this battle, Andy? Look, I have a hard time seeing Purdue lose two non-conference games because I think Mackey Arena is one of the best home courts in the country. But I, I just don't see how I can pick against Virginia right now. As well as Purdue played this past weekend in Florida, Virginia's defense is absolutely suffocating. Now, not having Braxton Key, uh, he's been out with an injury lately. You know, that hurts them offensively, but defensively, they're still just locking everyone down. I mean, they gave up what? I know Maine is not Purdue, but 26 points. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's ridiculous. I, I mean, it, it is ridiculous right now. And so I'm going to go with Virginia winning on the road because of the defense. All right. Same night, sticking with Wednesday night. Andy, it's another just incredible matchup in this uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge. You've got number six, Ohio State, and number seven, North Carolina. The Ohio State is still undefeated, but uh, that's a tall task in the Dean Dome. Who do you like? Well, I really like the way Carolina rebounded from their semifinal loss down in the Atlanta to Michigan, uh, outlasting Oregon. And so, you know, this is definitely a home game in terms of where I see uh, you know, because we don't know yet how Ohio State's going to handle being on the road. And uh, I just think Carolina is going to come back home. Cole Anthony's been feeding off this crowd. Yes, they can be a little bit more one-dimensional. But I like Carolina to win this home game against Ohio State. 
All right, let's jump ahead to Friday. You've got number 10 Duke at Virginia Tech. Now, granted, last year, different players, different coach for Virginia Tech, but Blacksburg was absolutely rocking, uh, you know, when they beat Duke. Virginia Tech, they've already beat Michigan State and Maui, but can they follow that up with another big win over Duke? Once again, I might have said yes, but then after that Michigan State win, you know, they dropped the other games in Maui. And so they weren't able to build off of that. They're still incredibly young, as great a coach as Mike Young is. And Landers Nolly, uh, the second, has had a phenomenal start to his season. They're just too inexperienced, I think, at some of the key spots. And I got to follow my trend here. If I have Duke losing at Michigan State, I can't see Duke losing twice in a week. It just doesn't happen that often. So I've got Duke winning that game. Bounce back W for Duke. Now, Saturday, we've got some we've got some big-time matchups, Andy. Penn State at number six, Ohio State. Can Penn State find a way to regroup after that, you know, collapsing its Ole Miss? What do we like here, Andy? Well, Penn State, you know, definitely can beat Ohio State. They've done it before. We know Tony Carr had the unbelievable shot, uh, you know, I think it was two seasons ago. And, and this is one of those things, once again, I'm going to follow my trend. And I, I don't think Ohio State loses two games in the same week. So if Ohio State loses to Carolina, which is my prediction, as, as I just said, then I've got them beating Penn State. If the reverse happens, you know, if you check back with me later in the week, I may switch it. But uh, I like Ohio State to, to rebound after what I think will be a loss in Chapel Hill. Yeah, hard to pick against Ohio State at home there, especially after they kind of dismantled Villanova earlier in the season. Uh, another top 25 matchup here, Andy. Number 12, Arizona, against number 18, Baylor. Who's coming out on top? This is a great game. This is sort of flown under the radar in terms of the scheduling. And Arizona actually, and we're going to talk about this next week, I know as well, they've got back-to-back Monster Saturday games because this week they got Baylor, and then the following Saturday they host Gonzaga. So uh, I, I think Baylor gets them. You know, Arizona has played well uh, for stretches. Their competition has not been the likes of Baylor yet. Yes, they beat Illinois at home, uh, but that was a home game. In uh, Anaheim for the Wooden Legacy, which they won Sunday night, you know, you know they ended up beating a Wake Forest team, which I think will probably be in the bottom five of the ACC. They, they just didn't have to play. You know, they, they, I'll give them credit with beating Penn, um, but at the same time, it's still not the level of Baylor yet. It's a young team as well as those freshmen are playing. Nico Mannion, Zeke Naji for the most part. Chase Jeter, the, the veteran big, played really well Sunday night. I still think Baylor wins this game at home. Jared Butler has been one of the better players in the country, not just in the Big 12. I think in Waco, it's going to be rocking. I like Baylor in this game. All right. Moving along on that same day, you've got the Crosstown shootout, Andy. Cincinnati and Xavier. Who do you like? I like Xavier. Uh, Xavier had a great shot with a comeback where they could have won and uh, beaten um, Florida. They didn't end up happening, but they had a great surge down in South Carolina where they could have won that tournament. Uh, Cincinnati did make the fi- did not make the final of the Paradise Jam, so uh, you know I- I'm just going to lean with the with the home team here, the team I think is playing better basketball right now. And that's Xavier. All right, now later Saturday, you've got number twenty Colorado at number two Kansas. Kansas a lot of momentum after beating a tough Dayton squad in Maui, uh, but Colorado's still undefeated. Andy, what kind of game are we looking at here? Yeah, this is a great matchup. I mean, the Buffaloes they beat Arizona State to start the season in China. They just uh, uh, knocked off Clemson to win a tournament in Vegas, um, although that tournament was not you know, filled with any kind of NCAA tournament teams, at least projected at this juncture. 
So Tyler Blaze played really well. Uh, McKinley Wright, but big but here. This game's at Kansas, and the Fog Allen factor I think is at least worth plus five. And I'm just not convinced Colorado can win a game like this yet. Uh, so I'm going to go with Kansas. All right. Now Sunday we've got an just an absolutely loaded ACC matchup. Number seven UNC at number five UVA. It's a huge week for UNC. I mean, they're playing the number five team and the number six teams in the country. Uh, but can Cole Anthony find a way to score against this pack line defense, Andy? I'm going to say no. I think that it's something he's never seen before. Uh, Virginia in Charlottesville has had great success, obviously under Tony Bennett in the last you know four years in the ACC. But uh, you know, especially the motion of this coming off of this Ohio State game for Carolina. I think they're just going to be throttled defensively by Virginia. I'm going Virginia. All right. Now let's close it out with this one. Number nine, Gonzaga, against number 22, Washington. Big in-state game here, Andy. Who do you like? So I'm actually going to go against the Zags. Um, You know, my my issue with Gonzaga right now is, number one, they're not 100% healthy. So depth is an issue. Uh, The guard play, it's interesting. Um, As we heard earlier in the podcast from Jimmy Dykes, I love the way he described Gonzaga which is it's an experienced team, but not experienced together. And, you know, that's an issue for them, especially uh, in the backcourt. And the length of Washington's bigs, led by Isaiah Stewart, on that back line of their zone, you know, will be a problem for those guards to get in there. Now, Gonzaga has very physical bigs, like Philip Petrosev, um and uh, obviously, Killian Tilly is experienced and can maneuver around in that zone. But I think, I think you know, it's going to be rocking in Seattle. This is their chance to finally get Gonzaga. They've not been successful when they've had this series against the Zags, re- uh, really under Mark Few. So I think if they're going to get them, this is the year to get them. And this is actually, you know, the first of three monster games for Gonzaga coming up here. Um, they've already had a great tournament, obviously, battle for Atlantis. But after this one... Then I just mentioned they're going to Arizona. Then the week after that game we're going to be at, they're going to host Carolina. So uh, we're going to learn a lot about the Zags over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that'd be a big-time statement win for Washington if they can pull that out. Uh, Andy, that's all I've got for you this week. We will revisit your picks next week. All right, everyone. Make sure you track everything that we're doing here in terms of uh, these predictions. And as always, you can go to our March Madness social media accounts, NCAA.com. For our Power 36, our Player of the Week this week was Anthony Cowan Jr. from Maryland. He had a great tournament in Orlando. Team of the Week was Michigan after winning the battle for Atlantis. Also, on Tuesday, as you're listening to this podcast, make sure you check out our March Madness social media handles at NCAA.com for our first bracket of the in-season, a month into the season. We'll have the NCAA tournament bracket. We're going to start doing this a little bit more frequently, obviously, after the holidays and once we get into conference play, but we want to have a month go by into the season before we did this. And look, it's results matter at this juncture. A lot of projections prior to this. Now it's all about results, and we've got plenty to look at after the first month of the college basketball season. Chad, as always, appreciate it. And all our listeners, thanks for downloading. You can get this wherever you download your podcast. I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening.